tra-la-la, tra-la-la. Whether you've been hijacked, got here by accident, or merely just hatched here, welcome to another episode of Fishing with Odd Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their lives. We're looking to help people create themselves rather than find themselves. If you're welcome nowhere else, you're welcome here. The only admission price is the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. And as listeners of this program know that we enjoy presenting stories of recovery and resilience, most importantly, how they did it so others can too. And welcome tonight to Miss Katie Dudas. Katie, so if you were captured by aliens and taken up into their spaceship and you were the only representative of humankind that they had ever seen... How would you explain yourself as a human? How would I explain? I think they would be a little worried because they'd think that we were all very tall. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, as I would explain myself as a human, my name is Katie. As you said, uh, I'm a big fan of cats being silly um, and trying to find, you know, the enjoyment in life. Uh, what kind of makes me special right now is I'm in a recovery of uh, breast cancer. Okay, so could you tell us a little bit of the beginning, where you came from, what happened, and what it's like now? I was diagnosed um, December 24th of 2019. Christmas Eve. Yeah, (laughs) that that was a a painful phone call at 9 a.m. And and it was interesting for me because I had spent most of 2019 taking care of my mom, who had also been diagnosed with breast cancer, so I wasn't along for her whole journey and I got to go from caregiver to I guess care receiver. Ah. So that makes me extra unique in the journey, I guess. Okay. So you received a phone call at nine AM on Christmas Eve morning and mm-hmm. it wasn't an invitation to a party. No, unfortunately. And uh they had asked me when I was I, I went, I had a, essentially they had seen something in a mammogram and they asked me to come back and they did an additional mammogram and did a biopsy where they took, um, some samples and they had asked me if I wanted to receive the phone call when they found out the results or if I wanted them to wait till after the holiday. And I said, as soon as they knew, I wanted to know. Okay. So you got that phone call and tell us about your state of mind at the time, Katie. Gosh, uh, well, I I not got, I hadn't gotten much sleep the night before, so when I saw the phone ring, I was I was expecting them to say that you know you're okay, you're you know everything's okay, and I was just planning on going back to sleep. And when I got the phone call, and when she she told me that it was um, malignant and it was cancer, uh, then my it was it was kind of like you felt like yourself kind of detaching from yourself, uh-huh. and my brain the the decision making, the level headed, my, you know, my, the brain part of me took over and was like, okay, what do we need to do? Um, and I think I, I had, having gone through it with my mom had prepped me without me realizing I was being prepped for this moment. And I knew the questions to ask and what to talk about and, um, you know, trying to figure out what's the next steps. And then it wasn't until I hung up the phone where it was like, oh crap. And it really kind of hit me at that point. Okay, so well, on the phone call, you were showing some high levels of emotional intelligence. So tell us about after that when the reality sunk in. 
I, there was a moment where, um, I, I remember, like I said, I remembered everything my mom went through and I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I had been laid off from my job four days beforehand. So I was still dealing with the new reality, you know, the new normal from that. And then having this on top of that was just like, Oh wait, this is a whole new thing happening here. And, um, I, I love telling the story that I, I, I went into my living room and I collapsed on the floor and I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. And for me, something, I have a cardboard cutout of Boba Fett from Star Wars ah. in my living room because I don't know who, you know, why you wouldn't have a cardboard cutout of a bounty hunter in your living room. <laughs> and I looked up at him for whatever reason, it caught my eye. And I was like, well, you know, if Boba Fett can survive the Sarlacc pit and tell, you know, come back, I can, I can survive this. Uh, I think I said in my head, I said, if, Sar- if Boba Fett can survive the Sarlacc pit, I can survive this bullshit. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you related your experience to another person who had gone through some extremely trying times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was what I needed at the moment. As okay. silly as it sounds, it was just the pep talk. I kind of needed to pull myself out of that moment. So you gave yourself the pep talk. I think so. Like, I think, I, I think it was me looking for the, the, my brain kicking back in going, okay, we, we know what we're getting into. We can do this. Your mom made it through. You can do this. Too. Ah, okay. So you were your own coach, your own therapist <laughs> at that point. I'm trying. Uh, so Katie, who did you share this information with first? Uh, my boyfriend. Okay. Um, Cause we were under the same roof. Uh-huh. And so he knew I was waiting for the phone call and um, he knew because I hadn't told, I mean, people, I had friends that knew that I had gone in for a biopsy. I had friends that had known that I'd gone in for mammogram, but no one knew that I was expecting results that soon. Mm. And so he was the first one to find out and having to (laughs) wonder if we, you know, what was going on when I was kind of losing it. Okay. When something happens, usually, uh, there's different type of reactions from different people. So tell us about that, Katie. I think so. I, I, it's interesting looking back on things now to see, you know, how, and I was, I was very grateful. You know, I thank my past self for, I, I started writing things down because I would not have remembered any of this. And I honestly, I'm still finding myself processing everything again because I never, I feel like I never actually processed it the first time through because it was so rapid fire um, for me and and the diagnosis. And, um, but there was definitely like going through all the stages of just shock and just being, just feeling like I was done. And then realizing that the next day was Christmas and we were driving out to state college to see my brother's family. And Uh my mom was going to, you know, my mom was going to, and, and, I had made the conscious decision to that wasn't I wasn't telling my family until later because uh-huh. I just wanted a normal Christmas. Okay. And was that accomplished? Yeah, they had no clue. <laughs> okay. Which I, I spent a lot of um, the beginning of the whole process with a lot of most people not knowing what had been going on or mm. what had happened. That's quite a happened. that's quite a parcel to be carrying around with you, Katie. And it was interesting. I, I like I said, a lot of times I've, I've looked back and, and just kind of thought things through now. And it was interesting to me um, 
how I held it together. And then there were points where it was almost comical that everybody, you know, people thought that I was going about things like, and I was very normal. And then inside was like, ha ha, you have uh, no idea what's happening. Yes. So you eventually began to share. Yes. Um, I actually, um, Mike and Missy Sorg were, I think the first, well, the first one out of the household ones of other household that found out because we had gone over there to tell them about feeding cats and it was like, Oh, Hey, um, yeah, by the way. And I, you know, we talked to them about what was going on mm-hmm. and I, I, like I said, it, it, I, I had it in my head that I didn't want to tell close family and friends because I didn't, I wanted a normal Christmas. I wanted them to have a normal Christmas sure, because I, I had no idea, you know, like you, you don't, you know, very few details. And I think that's one of the weird things about getting a cancer diagnosis is it takes a long time to get a diagnosis and a treatment plan. So let's People stop right. Like, so let's stop right there and talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine you were inundated with questions from friends and relatives. I um, so I didn't actually tell everybody until almost mid-March. Ah. So it it had been almost three months to, to the general public found, I, I, I call it the general public found out, and I posted something publicly on social media. And to that point, I had I'd come up with a list of folks um, that I, I wanted to tell in person, folks that I wanted to either text or call. You know what I mean? Like it was, it, it was just kind of like, and, and the list was, it was very much alive and it would change daily of who was getting a phone call and who was going to get what information first. And so tell us, like, so oh, tell yeah, us sorry. about the lack of information on your part, the lack of information that you were receiving, the questions that you had. So what happens with, um, with the, the cancer diagnosis is I, I knew that it was malignant tumor and that was pretty much all I knew in the beginning. Uh, one of the other stumbling blocks for me in this whole process is, you know, I mentioned that I had lost my job. My insurance ran out at the end of that year of 2019. Ah. So we had to find a way to get every single appointment we could fit in before the end of the year when I still had insurance, because that was just another thing just hanging over. And, you know, holiday time, you know, the, the hospitals and things aren't open on Christmas Day. They're not open on Christmas Eve. You know, there's or they're not doing these tests. And it to get so essentially when you 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 become you find out it's it's a malignant tumor and then you got to find out what kind of cancer it is so there was and make sure where it's spread to so there's ct scans there's mris there are um they tested the dna of the tumor to determine whether or not it was going to respond to chemo uh more biopsies x-rays uh gosh and not to mention you know a lot of blood work and on top of all that, I um, elected to do fertility treatments to freeze eggs. Okay. So there was ultrasounds, and it was unreal, the list of all the appointments I had before I had a, a final diagnosis and treatment plan. Okay. So how much of this were you able to fit in before the end of the year? We're talking like six days. <laughs> I had eight appointments in six days. Oh, wow. So yeah. how did those appointments get accomplished? I know a lot of people, I would probably suspect, and this is just a hunch, that you didn't take no for an answer. <laughs> they, I, I have to, uh, McGee did a, a wonderful job of fitting me in, um, and, and they knew my situation, and they were trying to help out as best they could, mm-hmm. which was 
fantastic. And I, I can't tell them how much I appreciate that. And, but it was a lot of like, how many appointments can we have in one day? Like, how many places can we fit in and, and try to get these things done? And, um, it was interesting to me because I had, I didn't tell my mom right away what was going on, obviously. And we share locations on our phones oh. and I was going, I went to the first round of appointments with my phone turned off mm. because I didn't want her to see where I was because okay. <laughs> I knew she'd be like, hmm. Who were some of the people closest to you that you told? And we'd like to get hear about their reactions. I, um, so there were some, uh, I, um, former coworkers. And also, um, so I work part-time, I still have a part-time job that, uh, um, with the penguins that I've had for, oh gosh, I've been working with them for about 12 years now, 11, 12 years. And, um, I let my bosses know there because I wanted them to know that I planned on continuing to work as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And, um, because I, I enjoyed what I did. And, um, if I, in case I didn't look right, um, like, or if I didn't look well, I guess I should say that, um, I was okay that this was all going on. And I think something, and I think when people, people have an expectation that if their friend has cancer, that the friend tells them they have cancer or the family member tells them they have cancer. But I don't think people realize it's just every time I told someone new, I had to watch their face just drop ah. and then process the information and ask the questions, which I didn't, I, you know, I was, I, I, to this day, I'm very straightforward. If you have a question, ask me and I will totally answer it because I, I think it's important to have the conversations, but it was just like, you, it, it was just like reliving. It was like the worst kind of groundhog day of just reliving every time you told someone every time and it made it very, I mean, you, I, I mean, it was, it was definitely, you know, when you're dealing with this all on top of, and then that's why I hit a point where I was like, I got to come out publicly because I can't keep um, telling people in person because it was just getting to be too hard. So, Katie, as a cancer victim and a survivor, uh, perhaps you could help coach people who are reacting to someone when they are told that they have a cancer diagnosis. How? how what type of support did you find most encouraging and supportive? I found for me, like for whenever I told a friend or family member what was going on, um, I greatly appreciated le them letting me vent because you don't know. Cause a lot, I, I'm, we're very much, we want to make people feel better. We very much want to take away their pain and their problems, which is wonderful things about people and you know, your loved ones and your friends. But there were, you know, a lot of times you just wanted to be like, Oh my God, this is so dumb. Like I, I, Cancer is annoying. I have a lot better things to be doing than dealing with cancer. Would you say? Would you? Would you cancer. say that again? That's a, that's a lovely statement. Please say that again. Cancer is annoying, and I have a lot better things to be doing ah. than dealing with cancer. And 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 I think that's you know just being able to be honest with it and having friends that you can be honest with and like yeah that's dumb. Are you gonna do what? Yeah. <laughs> How many suggestions did you get, Katie? Of things like to um, fix it, yes, <laughs> make it go away. <laughs> I lucked out. I have to be honest. I was incredibly lucky looking at other folks and they have listening to other people's stories about dealing with a cancer diagnosis that I did not have to deal with a lot of folks saying, "Well, you know, you do. Are you sure you, you want to do this path? You could do another path." 
And as much as I appreciate, I, I'm, I'm a spiritual human. I am, you know, I love oils. I love crystals. I love, you know, the things that I, but I, I still wanted, I did the chemo route because I wanted, that was the science behind it. Like everything I did, I wanted to know what I asked specific information, give me specific numbers. What, you know, what is this going to do? What's this going to do? And, um, but there was never anybody that was like, are you sure you want to do chemo? Don't you want to just do a lemon cleanse? I'm yes. this is very dramatic. Okay. I, you know, and, and like, I like using things together. Like I said, I, I like, you know, there have been oils that have helped me with nausea, help sure. me sleep. And, but, it, it, but at the same time, I still wanted to follow the science of things and what was going to give me the best long-term prognosis. Well, Katie, what I often suggest to my patients is, is that, the things that I help them with and encourage and incorporate in their lives enhance and make the medication work better. However, it's no substitute for the medication itself. Now, science is like magic, only it's real. Mm-hmm. And there's there, there's a phrase in the cancer community, and I'm sure there's other communities too, they're called cancer muggles, which is a Harry Potter thing. Okay, Where yes. they, will <laughs> they will suggest things that, like, and you're like, no, I, I want to go with the science and the. <laughs> you have now have a conceptualization of uh, what type of cancer you have. Uh, form they're formulating a treatment program for you at this point. So where were you at in your in your journey on at this point, Katie? When I announced when I, when I essentially announced it and posted on it publicly, I had already gone that, through my first round of chemo. I knew that. Um, I was having a bilateral mastectomy uh, because there was, as they did more testing on both sides, there were things that were like, mm, this, this isn't a thing now, but this might be a thing in the future. Yeah. I just, in my mind was like, it needs to go. And then they found that it had gone to a lymph node under my arm, which was, thankfully it was just one. So hopefully they were able to, you know, when they did the, the surgery, they had that removed. And, um, but it was a lot of like, it was really weird for me with a lot of, um, I was getting to do like going into something very big, like a big event or a presentation. And I was getting a phone call right before that about how my treatment was changing because they had gotten some new information, which was a, a totally wild experience on top of everything. Else. Uh, okay. So you all, you have all these facts and information, uh, when was actually the treatment program set in place, Katie? I started, I think, what was it? Gosh, it was February, either 5th or 8th, like one of the first weeks of February where I had my first round of chemo. And I thought it was really funny because I actually, I, I worked that game night and I was like, oh yeah, I can do chemo and I'm going to go to work that night. Uh. And I walked in to the office where I work and I walked in and I was like, listen, I'm not, I'm, I don't have the flu and I'm not pregnant, but I'm not feeling well. And I'll explain more later. And I, I tried to stay and I, and I left early because I just, I couldn't handle it. Be and that's another thing with like, when you go through these, these chemo treatments is they manage all the side effects, but you might try different medications to manage those side effects. And there's kind of like a combination that works specifically for you that might not work for somebody else. And what I had taken, the anti-nausea medication, um, my blood pressure had just dropped so significantly um, for, as a side effect that we had, next time I went to chemo, we, we did things a little bit differently. So I didn't have that feeling the second time. Okay. For somebody who has never 
experienced uh, chemotherapy. Uh, could you walk us through that first treatment, please? When uh, So what happens is, um, for me, when we started this whole thing, is I had a port placed. And a port is essentially just a, an access point for um, where I got the chemo infusions. And what the nice thing was is they used this port every single time I had chemo. Uh, so they were able to just kind of go into this without having to prick me with a needle every time in my hand or my arm. Because if some, if you're not able to do a port or if you don't want to do a port, you would have to get essentially an IV every time you went. But they were able to go right into my port, which was a weird experience because this port connects in, goes right into your heart to essentially to help use your heart to spread the chemo throughout your body. And it's a really weird thing to have your heart, which is obviously pumping the blood throughout your body and essentially using it to spread poison throughout your body, which nah. is what is actually happening to kill uh, the cancer. And when you, when you, when you go in for your chemo treatments, they clean off your port because like I said, it goes straight to your heart. So you have to take very good care of it and make sure it's, it's comfortable or you're not, you're keeping it clean. And it's weird because it's a foreign body. So it's kind of slight, not, it sits still, but you'll kind of, as you move your muscles, it'll rub against there. And you're nah. like, it's weird. And, uh, but when you go in, they, they clean it with saline and you, you will go the first or second time for chemo and you will taste that saline. And then mm. you will learn to put something in your mouth while they clean it. So you never have to taste the taste of saline in your mouth again, ah. because it's, it's the weirdest feeling. And then it, they hook the IV up with, and then you could, it feels a little cool. And then it just kind of goes throughout your body and you sit there and, um, depending on the type of chemo, there's a few different kinds of chemo, uh, depends on the length of time and to get it throughout your body and you just kind of hang out, and <laughs> wait for it to do its job. And then you go home and flush, flush, flush all the liquids to get it out of your body. Okay. Uh, flush, 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 meaning <laughs> you drink a lot of water. Yes, all the fluids you can handle because you want it in there to do its job and then you want it out because it's, like I said, it's it's weird because you're essentially poisoning yourself so you can get rid of a thing that's worse than the poison. Okay, so what we often help people do is let them know that when we have minds of uncertainty that can lead to minds of anxiety, worry, and fear, and we try to replace that with a mind of knowledge and awareness. So how much knowledge and awareness were you given or you did you gather about the chemotherapy process that helped you get through it? Um, I had, I, I, I wish, if, if you're watching a video, I have a notebook. It's this big, like a binder of papers that I have saved this whole process because it was every time you went and you got more information and new information, which was great. And they were always good about giving you handouts and things to read up on. And I, like I said, I kind of, I felt like I cheated on this whole process because I had already gone through it with my mom. So I knew what worked for her, what the experience was going to be like, how I was going to feel. And, um, but I was trying to, you know, I was asking her questions and how does this feel and how did you go? And like the nurse oncologists and asking them questions. And, but it was, it was definitely trying to get as much information as I could without overloading my brain, which was, is a weird, fine balance of things. <laughs> so how did you avoid uh, researching Dr. Google too much and actually going to people who had that specific knowledge? I have to admit, and I, I, I say this because I think it was the thing that pushed me over the edge, was when I first, I, I felt a lump in my right breast, and 
I was like, this could be a thing. This might not be a thing. And I started looking on Google because that's what you do is you research sure. on Google because I was, it was midnight, one, two, three in the morning. And I was looking this up night after night. And there was a specific side effect for me was a consistent sore throat on one side. Uh. And um, that was kind of the side effect to me that was like, okay, so maybe we need to get this looked at. And uh, what is essentially has happened, you get the sore throat because the lymph node is reacting to the cancer. Mm. And th- so that's why I had this consistent sore throat. But yeah, there were points you, it just, I was going way above and beyond. And I had to trust my oncologist to tell me what I needed to know. And I had to trust my surgical oncologist to tell me what I needed to know because you start every single study and this and that, and you Google every word that they're telling you because you're like, what's this word mean? What's this mean? And then you just. So talk to us about developing the trust that you had in your treatment team and how that affected you and how that helped your recovery. I lucked out because my um, oncologist, Dr. Puhala, um, uh, when I was, before I, I told a lot of people, especially like my bosses at work, I was working a pens game with one of my coworkers, Lori, who has done work with um, UPNC and the Hillman Center. And I had mentioned to her what was going on because I knew that she would understand what was going on and I could talk to her without, like I could ask her questions without her. Because there's also the, the thing when you tell people, sometimes people don't take it well and they, they freak out and you want to tell them that they're okay, they're okay. And I knew being able to talk to Lori, I could ask her, you know, how did, did she know Dr. Puhala? How did she feel? And she's like, you will love her. And having somebody who knew my oncologist and tell me that made it so much easier going into the process. And then I met her and I was like, okay, this is awesome. And, and she got a feel for me. Dr. Puhala got a feel for me. And what I wanted to know, Dr. Lee, my surgical oncologist got a feel for me and what I wanted to know. And they knew I wanted information. I wanted numbers. Give me your statistics. Tell me, you know, what, if I do this, what are the chances for this? And this, and, and they learned what kind of information I looked, I was looking for and what, and they were prepared to have those conversations with me, which I appreciated because, um, I think everybody, I guess everybody handles it different, handles it differently. Yes. Yes, they do. So if you had any fear, Katie, how did you confront that and deal with it? I did a lot of, um, I, I, I cried a lot (laughs) during Uh, this process and I, I I don't. And because it was so cathartic to me, because I, I realized that I was going into these things. Like I got this and and like in my head, I got this, I'm going to get through this. But then, you know, you, you, kind of you stop for a minute and then that's when your body kind of catches up and your emotions catch up with you and you're like oh wait (laughs) and I I did you know like I said I had a good resource in my mom and being able to ask her questions but yeah it was it was a lot of just and trying to and we were busy with appointments that it was like something was always going on and then that kind of helped with things too because it was a distraction yes and in the midst of that uh the world uh, made a choice that this COVID virus uh, decided to make an appearance. So tell us how that how that played into the, your treatment. It was it, it's I, I have to I, I have to laugh at some of the the way things just shook out in this process because it's mm-hmm. it's you couldn't write this. I feel like there's moments where I giggle and 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 things that I, at a certain point were like, oh, this is the worst thing that could have happened. Ended up being positives in the long run. And I was like, all right, cool. We got this. And for me, it was, 
I was, I had planned on, you know, I had a date in mind where I was like, I'm going to post it on social media. Um, cause I was getting closer and closer to when I was going to start losing my hair and I am tall blonde Katie and I've been tall blonde Katie for as long as I can remember. And that, that was going to be a huge tell that something was going on. Yes. I was like, what happened to your hair? <laughs> and I was getting closer and closer to the date of when I was going to have to cut my hair. And I knew, you know, what point that was going to be. And so I was like, all right, I got to tell people. And I told my boss of the Penguins, you know, what was going on. And I, we were talking about head wraps and was like, are you okay if I wear a head wrap? Because I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable wearing a wig right away. And, you know, just like talking through these whole, like making all these plans. Because I think that's was something that helped me was like, I'm going to make plans and try to, that'll make me feel a little bit better about stuff. And so I, I hit the week that I absolutely had to say something publicly before people were going to see that I didn't have any hair. And um, because and I worked a game where it was like, I had my head shaved and I had a, a wrap on my head. So I knew I, people had to know. And then I was like, we're going to do this. And then I said, I announced and everybody's like, okay, we're going to go to the movies together. We're going to hang out. We're going to do, I, mean, I made so many plans. And then a week later, COVID hit. Uh, yes. I was like, are you kidding me with this timing? Mm. So here we are four days before Christmas Eve. You lose your job. Christmas Eve, you don't get a call from Santa Claus. You got a call from uh, telling you about your confirming your diagnosis. And your insurance terms at the end of January, end of December. And a few months later... Uh, the world goes into lockdown. Yeah. And it it was the weirdest. Like I said, it was like I, I couldn't have like put all this together if I tried to, to put this all together because it was just like, okay, cool. Like I, I, I that phrase, okay, cool. was just like, all right, this is the next thing. All right, we got we to gotta change our plans. Okay, cool. So I, I was doing that whole pivot thing way before everybody else had to start pivoting. So you were, you were <laughs> flexible. You... Uh, learn how to deal with life without definitive expectations. Because mm -hmm. it was, you, like I said, a lot of it kept changing. And, and like we, we would think that I only needed, a, like, for example, a lump, lumpectomy where they were just going to take the tumor out. And they're like, no, we got to, it's too much of a risk the rest of the area. And I'm like, okay, cool. You might need chemo, you might not. And then I, I, I don't even know if I've told, um, uh, the Sorgs this I, I might have I can't even remember at this point everything blends together but I was getting ready to do a presentation at Point Park and I got a phone call 10 minutes before my presentation going oh yeah we're gonna have to do chemo and I was like okay cool nah. <laughs> and like having to switch gears from that to like let's talk about social media nah. <laughs> but it was like a lot of those pivots like you hear that word Okay, so I would probably suspect that there's ups and there's downs uh, during the course of your uh, treatment, Katie. Could you tell us about that, please? I there were there are days where, and there's still days. Like this is I I I've finished um, like I've done the chemo, I've done the surgery, I've done radiation, and um, there's still days where I'm great. I am. This is we're going to do great and we're going to go back and have a, you know, quote unquote normal life. And we're going to get back to where I was. And, and then there's days where you just cannot get out of, like, I can't get out of bed because it's just like, Oh my gosh, between cancer and the pandemic, 
it's hard to pep talk yourself out of some, some of these situations. We have many more stops along Katie's journey to recovery, which we will be discussing in our next podcasts. And as always, we offer a free prescription at the end of every podcast. Fruits, nuts, and vegetables. Unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste, my friends. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.